Well, good morning, 1015. How are you guys doing? Good? Yeah, man, I love that. I love the energy. It's been a great morning, and let's just, let's just keep it going. And let's welcome those that are joining online right now as well. And if that's you, we're so glad you could join as well. My name is Nate. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And if you're new to us, something we say every single week around here is that we believe that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. And that we as a church community desire to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So no matter where you're at spiritually, thank you for joining us today. And I believe that this church is for you. We started this church for people just like you, and you can get to experience God through these next moments that we're going to have together. So I'm excited to, to jump in. And some of you know my story that I grew up overseas, and so for some of my middle school years and then a couple years in high school, we lived in the Central African Republic. If you don't know about it, um, it's a third world country right at the heart of Africa. And what we did over there was everybody just walks everywhere. So for me, going to school was walking to school there and back every single day. And the other thing to know about Africa, too, is that rules are kind of just suggestions over there. So we would walk through people's yards, and any shortcut you can find, you can take it. If you can make it happen, it's yours, have it. And so we would walk through these people's yards and all that just to get to school. And one particular lot that I would walk past just really caught my attention for five years that I walked back and forth to school. And it was this lot that had what looked like the start of a really amazing home in an area that was surrounded by these tiny homes and mud huts. And this person had started laying down a great big foundation made out of rock and cement. And you could see the outlines of the rooms where they were going to go. And for five years, I walked back and forth past this foundation and never saw any progress on it. And for five years, I was just asking a lot of questions like, what, what happened to this person who started building this house? Did they pass away? Did job situation change and they couldn't afford to finish it? What was going on? Was it maybe a, a health thing? And I just had all these questions, and then I began to learn some lessons from it as well, even as a young kid, that, man, if you're going to start a house, make sure that you plan to finish as well. And make sure to, go to, to budget for it and have a plan in place to make sure that you finish this house that you start. And in that area, too, what's interesting is that your house is your legacy, that people don't have the 401ks and all the stuff that we have here in the West. And so your house that you built is your legacy that someday in your old age you're going to live in, that you're going to be cared for in, that you're going to pass away, that you're going to leave to your family. Your house is your legacy. And today we're going to be looking at the house of David talking about David's family. We've been in a series now where we've talked about the life of David, a man after God's own heart, and all these amazing things he did. And today, as we wrap up this uh, series that we've been in, we're going to be looking at his house. And you might be surprised to find that this amazing king who did so much to establish the kingdom, accomplished so many things, yet his house is a mess. And if you thought your family had issues, wait till you see David's family. So we jump into the story here, 1 Kings 1, chapter 1, and verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And we're going to find David here in his old age. He's towards the end of his life, and it says this, King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. So his advisors told him, let us find a young virgin to wait on you and to look after you. And 
You don't find a family that is gathered around their aging father, caring for him, enjoying their last moments together. No, instead what you find is that they are going to find somebody else to come and care for David. His family during this time is divided. They are trying to grasp for power. Who's going to become king? And it's just a whole mess of a house that you find when we talk about David's family. And I think there's a lot of questions and a lot of lessons that we can learn as we look at David's house today. And I want to talk about family. And the title of this message is Build Your House, Winning Where It Matters the Most. Winning Where It Matters the Most. Because see, family is so important. It's interesting to, to think about it in this way that God, when he was creating our world, could have created anything. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He could have made anything and he chose instead to make a family because I think that the family is so important to God. And in fact, it's one of the ways that he is continuing to carry out what he's doing through the world comes down to the family is through the family. So that's why it's important. That's why we're going to be talking about it today. And we're going to be talking about it because I realize this, that when we talk about family, the family is so important. It's the place that you will probably find some of your greatest joys will come from. But also some of your deepest hurts and pain can sometimes come from family and in those relationships that are closest to us. And if you're in here and you're a single person, you're like, man, we're just talking about family. I'm not even, you know, thinking about that yet. And some of what we talk about today could help set you up for the future. If you, if you hope to someday have a family or if you're single, then most likely like every single one of us, you came from a family as well. And some of what we're going to be talking about today is going to apply to that. And we want to talk about how do you build your house in a way that is going to matter. So would you pray with me as we do that? Father, we just want to pause right now to invite you into this space. And as we approach this topic, this conversation about the family, I realize that people are walking into this space. You're listening online right now with all kinds of different situations in their life. For some of them, their family is in a great season right now, and this is a great, happy topic to talk about. And then some, God, even right now as we speak, are just walking through some of the darkest days that they've ever experienced in their life. And God, would you meet them right where they are today? Would you remove me out of the way? Would you just speak to each person listening a word that is intended just for them? Take away any words that are not uh, yours to, to speak today. And God, would you just speak to us, all of us, myself included, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so a few years back, we get married, and I'm one of these guys that, you know, just likes to do projects and to stay busy. So I decided that I was going to build a cornhole set. And we're living in Illinois at the time. If you didn't know this, in Illinois, we call it bags. But here in Indiana, you guys call it cornhole. So I was building a cornhole set and I went and bought some of the materials that I thought I was going to build and started working on it. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I need to cut the hole and I need to like figure out some things and measure some things out. Shana is a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I'm a Bears fan. I had this grand vision for the decals we're going to put on there. I'm going to paint it, all these things. And then I actually started building it. And as I got into it, I realized very quickly that I started this project without a plan and so when I got to the part where you have to build the legs and build them to swing in and out to be able to store it, man, there's a whole lot of geometry and measuring and cutting that is involved with that. I was like, I'm done. I quit. So never finished the set. And then we ended up moving out and I just gave everything to our neighbor. I'm like, dude, you, you can have it. I don't even want to mess with it. I'm just going to go out and buy a set. And I realized the lesson that day that when you want to build something, it is really important to start with a really good plan. 
If you're taking notes today, as we talk about building your house and your family, the legacy that you will leave, number one, you need to start with a plan. And you see in David's life that this amazing warrior who uh, did so many things and he's strategic in how he establishes the kingdom and yet you look at his family that maybe he lacked the same intentionality and the same planning when it came to his family. Here's what I mean by that. Take a look at verse 5. David is, is he's in his old age and it says this, about that time David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting and saying, I will make myself king. And he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50, 50 men to run in front of him. For David, who is a king, one of the most important parts of his family was the crown. And who was going to sit on the throne? And this key important milestone in the life of David's family, this amazing warrior, king who accomplished so many things, established the kingdom, failed to plan for this key milestone of transitioning the kingdom over. To his successor. And so what happens is his oldest son, Adonijah, just decides, well, since dad doesn't have a plan, I'm just going to go ahead and make myself king and begins to gather people and begins to declare himself king and just kind of begins to vote himself into, into the throne. And I think it's so important as we just take a, away a lesson from this to look at David's family and to think about our own families that for, for many of us, how often in our lives have we actually taken time to stop and to think through a plan for the kind of house that we want to build, for the kind of family that we hope to have someday, that the family that you desire to have isn't going to happen by accident. It takes a lot of intentionality to work towards that, to get you to that place. And it's important to sit down and to ask some of these questions like, what are some of the values that we're going to have as a family? Are we going to value hard work? togetherness, faith, what are some of the values that we're going to have as a family and what kind of a family are we going to be? Are we going to be a family that does a lot together, that laughs a lot together, a family where everybody just kind of has freedom to go do their own thing? What kind of a family are we going to do? And then how are we going to actually work, put into place a, a plan to actually get there? See, nobody sets out to build a house without thinking through an elaborate plan and designing the house and sitting down and actually putting a lot of thought and effort into it. And maybe you're in here and you're single right now. And you're, you're just thinking, why, why are we talking about this? What, what about a plan? What does that have to do with me? And for me in my singleness, I realized that some of the choices and the plan that I made in my singleness would directly impact the outcome of the kind of family that I would have someday. So for example, for me, one of the rules that I had for myself was this, that I would never date anybody that I didn't see myself marrying. And you might think, well, that's really weird. Why would you have that? Like, isn't that kind of like jumping in too quickly and aggressively? Like, why don't you just date somebody? And here's what I mean by that. Some of you might maybe get into a relationship. You find yourself dating somebody. And the reason why you're dating them is because they are a fun person. They make you laugh a lot. You can do, do a lot of fun things with them. But you also know that there's some character flaws that they have. Maybe they're irresponsible or they have some issues that are real concerns for you. But yet you're still in that relationship with them that's going to go on for months or for years sometime. And then some time down the road, you end up having to sit down and have the hard conversations about, hey, like, it's been a fun, you know, past few years, but I just don't really see myself marrying you. So for me, having this rule in place for myself that I would never date somebody that I didn't intend to also marry or see myself marrying someday just helped me to be able to clarify and to narrow down who am I going to date, 
Who am I not going to date? How am I going to date people? What are the things I'm going to do now that will help to set me up for the kind of family and house that I hope to build someday? So if you're in here and you're single and listening to this right now, can I just encourage you to begin to determine for you what are some of those values that you have? Like, and I, I was raised by parents that did that for me because when I met my wife and we started kind of talking and things are moving along, I called my mom to tell her, hey, you know, there's this girl that I met at college and I think we kind of like each other. And the, you know, the first question she asked me, my mom asked me, she said this, not, not what is her major? What does she look like? She asked me, she said, does she love Jesus? And those are the kinds of values that even in your singleness right now, you can begin to establish in your life that will set you up for the kind of house that you want to build someday. But here's what I find is that oftentimes many of us, we just live our lives with no plan, with no intentionality about the kind of house that we want to build. And we certainly see that in the life of David. And for some of us, we're in here. And the thing that we have is that our priorities are all out of whack. So we spend more time working on our vacation plan than we do our house plan. We spend so much time planning, what are we going to do, all these activities, and we've never taken time to sit down and actually think through, what, what is the plan for my house, for my family, for the kind of family that we want to be? For some of us, maybe the thing that we, we spend all of our time and energy into might be the hobby that we have, that we're spending hours and so much money on our golf game, and we've never thought about a discipleship plan for how we're actually going to disciple our kids to know, to love, and to serve Jesus someday. Or maybe for you, the thing in your life that you're spending so much time into is your work. And you're pouring all your time and effort and energy into it, into your job, and you're crushing it at work. And then you're coming home, and you've got nothing left to give to your, your own family. And you don't realize what, we, what you're doing is you are sacrificing your family for a job. And I know everybody says this, oh, here at this company, we're a family. Have you ever found that you end up leaving that family, going to a different job, and that family moves on without you? Right? But the family, the, the kids that God has entrusted you with, man, it is so important for you to have a plan for how you're going to disciple them, how you're going to raise them up, and realize this, that sometimes the greatest thing that you will do with your life is not what you accomplish, but it's somebody that you raise that is going to go on to change this world in an incredible way. And we just don't take enough time to, to stop and to put into place this plan. And I was reading this uh, this week. I was scrolling on social media, and this book came up on my, on my newsfeed. And the title of the book was, Who Will Cry When You Die? Who Will Cry When You Die? And it just really captured my attention because when you get someday to the end of your life, if you envision your funeral someday, the people that are gathered there in that room that are going to be crying and mourning that loss in your life, those are the people that you want to pour into, that you want to invest everything into. Because when you get to the end of your life, your resume isn't going to matter as much as your eulogy does. And I think some of us just forget that. So it all begins with having a plan, a clear plan for how am I actually going to build my house? What is the kind of family that I'm going to, uh, to establish? And choosing my priorities, because if you don't set your priorities, nobody else is going to set that for you. And sometimes it just takes with things like hobbies and work or whatever it is that could come and can destroy the house that you're trying to build. It takes establishing some of those boundaries. Because see, work is a great thing. But to not let work become the most important thing and forfeiting what is most important to us. So make a plan. Number two, revisit your plan often. Make a plan, but revisit your plan often. Uh, yesterday we were in Costco and 
I'm walking around, I've got the shopping cart, and I'm pushing my son in the shopping cart, and he's three years old, and for some reason, he decided that it was a great idea that every person that we went by to say, pirate's booty to them. <laughs> if you ever want to feel vulnerable, try disciplining your child in a really crowded store. Uh, you're going to feel all kinds of insecure with that. But see, he's three years old, but I realize that he's going to grow up someday and he's going to become 13 and 23 and then 30 years old. And the conversations that I'm having with him right now at three years old about discipline are different than the conversations that I hope to someday have with him when he's 30. And maybe he has a family of his own. So it's important for us to continue to revisit that plan and say, hey, what season are we in right now? We're just starting the family. We're just married. We're starting to have kids now. Those kids are getting into activities and life can get all kinds of crazy. And are we revisiting the plan? Kind of like somebody who's putting together a puzzle and saying, here's why I intended to build. Is that still what's happening right now? And then those kids grow up and they graduate high school. They go off to college. And then you become an empty nester. And now your relationship with them changes. So just revisiting and saying, hey, is, it, is that still the plan that we have for this family? And then someday you go on to maybe become a grandparent. And it's been such a joy to watch our own parents become grandparents as we started to have kids. And if you're a grandparent in the room, can I just tell you right now to not underestimate the impact that you can still have on your family? That some of my best memories that I have of growing up is going to grandma and grandpa's farm getting to spend time together as a family, eating a lot of food and doing fun things together, just being together as a family. And you as a grandparent can continue to work that plan and just making sure that someday when you're gone, you are leaving your family with that plan and with those values that you want to establish in their lives. So it's important for us to continue to revisit that plan because seasons change. But here's the thing also is that culture is always changing. Culture is always changing. And the climate that you are raising your kids in right now is completely different than the climate that you grew up in. The world that your kids are growing up in is so different. Talk about technology and all kinds of issues that are coming up today. It is so different than the world that you grew up in. And you don't build a house in Florida the same way that you build a house in Alaska. And it's important for us then as parents to realize like, okay, the plan that I have, maybe for my life, maybe this is how I was raised, maybe this is how we did things, but this is a whole different generation that is facing different issues that I'm facing. How do I put together a plan that is actually going to work for where they're at, for the world that I'm actually raising them in? Because when you're building in a different climate, your choice in materials, how you build, the kind of foundation you put in place, all those things are different. So are you revisiting that plan as things come up? Or maybe even you have children that are all different and it's important to look at each one of them and say, hey, this plan that is maybe working for this child might not be working for this one here. How do I rework that in a way that I'm still instilling in them the values that I want for them to grow up with? So number two, revisit your plan. And number three, address issues that come up. Address issues that come up. So we moved into this house that we're in now, and it had a second-story uh, laundry room, which we were super excited about. The thing I didn't realize is that that means that our vent for the dryer also is a lot higher now, and there's this whole clean-out thing that you're supposed to do with your lint trap, and it means getting on a ladder. I don't do heights. So since December, since we've moved into this house, I've stood on my back patio and looked at that lint trap and gone, yeah, man, somebody really needs to... Um, Clean that. Clear that out. Yeah, maybe I should get a ladder and clean that up. 
all right, that's good. And then I've done nothing about it since December. And you know what happens with those uh, duct ways or those, the lint sometimes is that it can get caught in your heating element for your dryer and it can actually start a whole house fire. And I realize this with families, that families become really good sometimes at avoiding hard things. That the issues that will come up in your family can become like that lint trap that everybody looks at. You know it's an issue and you choose to do nothing about it. And David does the same thing in his family because David had a habit of passivity as a parent. Look at this. In verse 6, it says this. It says, Adonijah is doing all those things. And it says, now his father David had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing this or that? David had never even disciplined his child. So his son is going around, gathering people, putting together this party to declare himself king. David knows about it, and David chooses to do nothing about it because he chose passivity, because he chose to avoid the hard things. And it's so easy sometimes for families to do the same thing. And then someday you find yourself down the road with a house fire thinking, how did we get here? And that small lint trap that you could have addressed and cleaned out became the house fire that is now destroying your house. Have you ever been there before? Families that want to be healthy, houses that want to be established, realize that it's important for them to lean into the hard things and the issues that will come up. Because see, in David's life, here's what it looked like. He has this sin with Bathsheba. And then he ends up taking Bathsheba as another wife. And he has all these concubines. So his family is now divided. There's all kinds of issues going on. And then he has one of his sons by the name of Amnon who commits this awful act against his half-sister, Tamar. David knows about it. David does nothing about it. So then Tamar's brother, Absalom, rises up to avenge his sister, kills his own brother, Amnon. Again, David is mad about it. He does nothing about it. Absalom flees eventually returns home. David is still mad at him. David chooses again to do nothing about it. Absalom then goes on, puts himself in front of the gate of the city, begins to kind of stir up this rebellion against David. David knows about it. David does nothing about it. Eventually, he gets to the point that he will overthrow David or kick him off the throne. So now David is back in exile again because his son is now threatening to take over the throne. Again, David chooses passivity, and it takes David's own men stepping in and actually killing his son Absalom to reestablish him on the throne to return David to that place. And over and over again, you just see that David has this habit of passivity in his life and just avoiding the hard things and the issues that come up. Chuck Sundahl, who's a pastor in Texas, he says it this way. He says this, that the longer I live, the more I believe that the greatest enemy of victorious Christian life is passivity. See, passivity is an enemy, not just to your own life, but passivity becomes an enemy to your family as well when we choose to just avoid the hard things. And that passivity today sets up the bigger issues that you're going to encounter tomorrow. That passivity paves the way for tomorrow's issues, and it's important to just address things as they come up. And so let's talk about that. And you just realize this, we're talking about families, that there are no perfect families, right? There are no perfect families. Because families are made up of people who are not perfect. And so there are no perfect families. And what are some maybe unhealthy ways that you can deal with conflict or issues in your family? Number one, avoid it like the plague. And we've seen how that ends. Number two is to stuff it down. 
There's an issue going on and everybody knows about it. It's the elephant in the room. We're, we're just going to stuff it down. Let's just sweep it under the rug. And those same things, you end up with a lumpy rug that trips you up every single time that you walk on it. Some people choose to just stuff it down. Number three, some people choose to just blow it up. Like their go-to mode is just like there's an issue, explosion every time. And things are said or done in anger that end up becoming even more destructive to the family. And those are all unhealthy ways that we can deal with conflict. But here are some healthy ways that we can handle conflict. Number one is to lean into it. Lean into it. Just make a commitment as a family that you say, no matter how awkward, no matter how hard the issue is, we are actually going to be honest in this family. We are actually going to lean into the hard stuff that will happen. Lean into it. Number two, work through it. It's easy to want to just go around issues and pretend like, oh, no, it's fine. We brought it up. We're done. We've moved on now. And maybe the root of resentment begins to build in our hearts and it eventually comes up again down the road and becomes an issue. So choose to actually work through it, work through the emotion, have the hard conversations, work through it. Number three, learn from it. Mistakes are going to happen and that's fine. But choosing to repeat those mistakes is something that you have control over. That you can actually learn from your mistakes and actually choose to move on from it, which is the last point, is to move on from it. I've also seen families that somebody did something 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they've just never gotten over that. They just choose to bring it up every single time. Remember that one time when you, remember that one time when you said this? And at some point, you just realize that if you want to build your house and be the kind of family that God desires for you, you're going to have to make the hard decision maybe even the daily decision to choose to forgive and to move on, to have the kind of family that you want to have. And I love what it says in Colossians 3. It says this. The Bible, by the way, is full of instructions on how do you resolve family conflict because there are no perfect families. Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We don't forgive because they deserve it. We forgive because we've been forgiven ourselves. So also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. See, there are no perfect families, but you can work to become a healthy family. You can work to become a healthy family. And by the way, the health of your family isn't determined by the presence of issues in your family. It's determined by how you work through those issues as a family. Every single family is going to have issues. But how you choose to work through that is what makes the biggest difference. And for David in this divided family, you also see that Bathsheba is mentioned and her son Solomon is mentioned. And that's who eventually goes on to become king. But Scholars think that probably after David's sin with Bathsheba is where so many of these issues begin to happen in his family. And I just wonder if maybe it wasn't the, the guilt or the shame that David felt in his own heart for his own mistakes that impacted him as a parent becoming more and more and more passive, which is so important. Just a note to parents right now that everybody has issues and it is so important for you to deal with the junk in your life. Lean into the junk in your life and deal with it. 
Because the stuff that you have in your life will get passed on to your kids, sometimes to their kids after them. And it is so important. Every single one of us have junk in our lives, including myself. And it is so important for you to address that. Allow for God to grow you, to heal you, to restore you. So that it doesn't become the thing that compromises the house that you are trying to build. And maybe you're a single person in here right now. One of the best things that you can do in your singleness, if you're hoping to build the kind of house that we're talking through someday, is to deal with your junk right now. That the more you address it, the healthier you become right now, hopefully you will attract the right kind of healthy person. Together, you guys can hopefully make a healthy family together. One of the best things you can do in your singleness is to work on the own junk in your own life. To make sure that you are growing, to make sure that you're healthy. And we see here that David's junk just ends up becoming this big thing that divides his family and there's murder in his family and just all kinds of awful things. David's house is a mess. So much of that begins with the junk in his own life. But what's so amazing about our God who we serve is that despite David's failure, God forgives him one of his sin, even though it still has consequences. God forgives him of his sin and God chooses to make a covenant with David and he chooses to say this, that I will build a house for David. Take a look at 2 Samuel 7. David receives the prophet Nathan who comes to him and he says this to David. He says, moreover, verse 11, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. That he will raise up for David someday an heir or a descendant who's going to sit on the throne who will establish the kingdom of David forever. And that's why you get to the New Testament when you're reading about Jesus' lineage. It is so important. Matthew makes sure to include that in there because you realize that Jesus, who was the Messiah who came, established God's kingdom, is actually a descendant of David. And that's the kind of God that you and I serve, that no matter how deep our sin is, no matter how great our brokenness is, that when we come to God, when we seek his forgiveness, he is a God whose grace can overcome any sin in your life, who forgives us and who chooses to use us and to do something incredible through our lives that we could have never even imagined or hoped for. That's the kind of God that we serve. Anybody else grateful for a God who treats us in that way? And I, and I look at my own life and I realize, man, over the years... I have made some really, really foolish decisions in my own life. But over and over again, that God has chosen to continue to bless, to redeem, to restore, and to use me to do far greater through my life than I could have ever imagined. And if you're in here today, and maybe your life is a mess, and you're just wondering, could God use a person like me? Can I remind you this, that God's calling on your life is foolproof? Another way to put it is this, that when God placed a call on your life, he took your stupidity into account, right? <laughs> to account for it. And that his grace is just so much greater than you could ever imagine. He can do far more through your life than you could ever even hope for. And that's what he does in David's life and I'm just grateful for a God who treats us in this way. And number four, if you're going to build your house, how do you build your house? You choose to build on Christ as your foundation. Because what you build on, your foundation, determines everything. And there's this tower that you might have seen a picture of before. Let's throw it up there, the Tower of Pisa. What you build on and the kind of foundation that you build on makes a huge difference. 
that you see this amazing tower, and by the way, people will climb up into that. I'm like, I will never go up in that because that foundation is flawed. The kind of foundation that you build your life upon makes a huge difference. And I've just seen it over and over in my life that if Christ isn't the foundation that you've built your life upon, you end up with a house that leans, that doesn't withstand the storms that life can bring your way because life is going to happen. And that's why Jesus says this in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. See, as you live your life as a family, as you're building your house, sickness is going to happen. Cancer is going to happen. The financial setback is going to happen. Your kid is going to end up with that sickness or whatever going on in their life that you don't even know what to do. And when you build your life, on anything other than Jesus, there's a foundation, the rock that you stand on. Those storms can sometimes come and can shake you and can toss you back and forth. And when you build your life on Jesus as the foundation of your life, that's when you can stand securely even in the midst of a storm. That the winds can blow and the rain can come, but you continue to stand steadfast in your hope because you are standing on Jesus who is the foundation. And not only that, but... That he wants to come alongside you and to actually empower you and give you the ability to build the house that you desire to have. And that's why he says this in Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it will labor in vain. So many things are going to be out of your control. Your kids are going to move out of your house someday. What do you do in those moments? You trust in God to build your house for you that... You did your part to teach them about Jesus, to establish those values early on, and the rest is up to God to continue to build your house. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So can I just encourage you to make Jesus the center of your life, the foundation of your life, to make his word and what he tells us to do and your walk with him the thing that you invest your time in and as you do that that he promises to establish your house and to do something great through your house maybe that might even exceed any expectation that you could have had and I've shared my story with some of you before that my mom grew up she was born in a village in the Congo and in a home that was polygamous her dad had two wives who were stepmoms to her because her mom passed away when she was three years old and her grandfather, before her dad, had 13 wives and she grew up in this really dysfunctional home. Just so much brokenness and abuse and substance abuse all throughout our family and addiction and brokenness and all these things. When you get to my parents' generation, you see those things begin to change. Why? Because of the relationship that they discovered with Jesus. Because they chose to build their family on the rock that is Jesus. And all those things begin to change. And some of you here in the room need to hear this right now that... You might have come from a broken family, 
But it doesn't mean that the family, the house that you're building right now has to also be broken. That the power of the gospel in your life can come in, can transform, can redeem. God can do something amazing and build a house in your life that you would have never even imagined. All when you build on the foundation that is Jesus. And I just want to leave you with this. I don't know what you're going through today, but that God is for your family. Maybe you feel alone in the hardship that you're walking through right now. Don't forget that God is for your family. Maybe you're trying to raise little kids right now who are going around saying pirates booty in Costco. God is for your family. He loves that child. He wants to come alongside you, empower you. Maybe it's that child that you raised that moved on, moved away from home and is making some foolish decisions right now. You continue to pray up that child to Jesus. Allow him to step in. Allow him to establish your house. Continue to build your house on the foundation that is Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we just stop right now to, again, just invite you into this space. And I don't know who's listening to this right now. I don't know what they're walking through. For some people, they're just walking through something really heavy right now as a family that I cannot even begin to imagine. But God, you promised that you are near to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. So Father, I pray that you just be near to them today. Would they sense your love? God, would they know that you are for them? Father, I want to pray over every single family in our church. Father, as we set out to build these houses and these families together, that so many things can happen, that the storms can come. And Father, would we just continue to rely on you? God, would you give us the strength? Would you be the foundation that we continue to establish our lives upon? And God, would you do something that is going to be far greater than anything we could have ever hoped or imagined? Because you are a good God who loves us, who redeems who restores, who uses broken people like us to do something amazing and beautiful. So we love you, God, and we just pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.